You're listening to the Central Sanford Podcast. To learn more about Central Sanford, including our gathering times, visit us online at centralsanford.net. Today's talk comes from Pastor Alan Brumbach. Jonah chapter 4 is where we are this morning. Jonah 4 and verse number 1. Let's read the God's word together. The Bible says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, his little pity party. And he sat under it in the shade till, uh, till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. Now Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm to attack the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to live than to die. For better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, a few weeks ago, probably... None of us thought we would be where we are today. As we watched the news, we, we saw what was going on in East Asia, in, in China, in South Korea, and in Japan, and we thought maybe they're being a little extreme. And maybe in our minds we said, you know what, there is no way that this virus would have the impact that, that it had in China here in America. We have the best hospitals, we have the best health care, we have the cleanest, safest country, we're better, we're smarter than anything. We thought, maybe, some of you, maybe not all of you, that we were superior to the other nations. We thought this could never happen here. But yet here we are. And as of today, we have more cases of the COVID-19 virus than any other country in the world. And in the past two weeks, our nation has really been reeling from this. Our stock market has gone up and it's gone way down. It's been kind of like a roller coaster ride, which has been more on the downside than the upside. We've spent so many uh, countless hours watching television, just seeing what's going on. Our nation is in panic and a lot of people are scared to death. And what I think is that has come from this is that we have realized that we're not as strong as we thought we were. And maybe one of the things that has come maybe in your life is that you have seen that some of the things that you were really worried about prior to all of this were not as important as you thought. You know, crises really help us to reorder what is most important in our life. And I believe that, that God has a way of doing that in, in our lives very vividly. 
And, and I think that an example of that is what we see in chapter 4 in Jonah's life. That God here is going to send Jonah some crises into his life to help him reorder his life. And, and if you are a student of God's word and if you've read through the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4 is probably the most puzzling, mysterious chapter in the book. Because Jonah has just preached to the wicked city of Nineveh. The entire city has just repented and believed in God. And yet, Jonah isn't happy. So in chapter 4, here's what we're going to learn. In chapter 4, we see Jonah's self-righteous rage is met by God's remedy that is both painful and loving. So those two things, Jonah's rage, God's remedy, and his remedy is painful and loving. So let's go to the first point, Jonah's rage. The Bible says that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. In the Allen version, Jonah is ticked off. Jonah has been preaching judgment probably when he entered into that city of Nineveh. He didn't preach it with tears in his eyes. He preached it with joy. In his mind, he's saying, yes, I cannot wait to see this city go up in flames. But because the city of Nineveh repented, God relented from what he was going to do, the judgment. And remember I said God is bound to his character, his purposes, his promises, but not always his punishment because God is consistent in who he is. And because they repented, God said in his word that he would forgive. And so Jonah here, instead of being excited about seeing an entire city give their life to God, he has the opposite reaction. He's the opposite of what you think. You would think that the story of Jonah chapter 4 would be Jonah going home rejoicing, uh, skipping around, singing zippity-doo-dar, zippity-day, but instead he rages and he prays to God. Now it's interesting that in chapter 1 when he got upset with God's call, he didn't speak to God, he ran from God, but here in chapter 4 he turns his anger towards God and he says essentially in verse number 2, I told you so. I knew this was going to happen. And God, listen, here's what you don't understand, God. You don't know how evil these people are. Uh, you, you, don't, you think that this repentance is going to last? There's no way. It was all a show. They ripped their clothes. They sat in ashes. They had their cows to mourn and to moo. But it was a show. He says, how is it that you can offer grace? To people like this. Now, the word here he uses for you are a gracious God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That word steadfast love is kesid, which is God's covenant love, the love that God offered to Israel. This covenant-keeping love. Jonah is saying, how is it that you can offer that kind of love to them? See, if you read this text... It's God's grace that made Jonah angry. He quotes Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, and Psalm 145, verse 8. Jonah knew that God was a God of grace, but in Jonah's mind, he wanted it for himself, he wanted it for his people, but he didn't want it for them. If you read in chapter 2, while he was living in the fish's stomach for three days and three nights, he had no issue asking for the grace of God, but when it came to extending the grace of God, he wanted no part of it. In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. That's the same word, kesed, that, that covenant-keeping love. See, while Jonah was in the fish, he got it. Those who cling to idols, whoever they are, are forfeiting the grace that could be theirs. And while he was in the, the pain of the belly of the fish, he understood it. 
But as immediately when he gets onto dry land, when he gets outside of the fish, he forgot it. And that's how many of us are. When we go through crises, when we go through situations, we get it. But when we get out of it, we forget it. And what you see here is that Jonah, outside of the fish's belly, it's that his mouth reveals what's going on in his heart. See, in Jonah's mind, the pagans have the idols, but not him. He, he didn't have the same issue. He, he needed mercy, but not like those people. See, for Jonah, if you just read this at the surface level and even deeper, you see that Jonah didn't love people. He loved himself. Now, maybe in chapter 1, when God gave him this call, he was afraid of going to the city of Nineveh. He had heard they were very barbarous people. They were torturous. They, they were just evil, wicked, vile uh, as can be. And so in chapter 1, you can see, well, maybe he didn't want to go because he was in fear of his life. But in chapter 4, that threat is gone. The city of Nineveh had repented. They, they, they had said, we are not going to do the violence that was in our hands. And so when you get to chapter 4, Jonah here, his, his, his heart really is revealed because what you really get underneath all of it is his hatred. See, when you idolize, you demonize. And he demonized these people. He didn't love them. He had no compassion for them. He had no pity for them because his Jewish, Israeli, Hebrew nationalism was in clash with the will of God. And so he comes to God in verse number three and he says, it is better for me to die than to live. He is so angry, so distraught, so depressed that he says, my life is not worth living anymore. He says, Lord, take my life. I need divine euthanasia. Without what I want going on, I have no desire to live life anymore. See, the reason why Jonah was so despondent and so angry is because he lost something. And the thing that he lost was the thing that replaced God in his life as the main source of joy and love. See, Jonah had a relationship with God. I don't have any doubt about that. But there was something that Jonah valued more than he valued God. And how I know that? Because he got angry. Now, I'm not saying that anger is a sin. Jesus got angry. You, you can have anger. It's, it's, a, it's a communicable attribute of God. But sinful anger, here's what it does. Sinful anger is the smoke that points to the fire of our idolatry. Your emotions that maybe you've had these past few days, emotions such as anger or anxiety or fear or worry or depression, often are markers that point us to a deeper issue. Jonah here is depressed and he's angry because something he loved more was threatened. Something that was harmed, something, pardon me, something that he loved more than God was threatened. It was harmed. And the issue is, is that he had disordered loves. See, anger itself is a type of love. And sinful anger is loving the wrong thing too much. And Jonah here loved his nation, loved his, what we're going to look at later, his moral superiority. He loved it too much. And that's why he got angry. I love what God does in verse number four. In verse number four, he says to Jonah, he says, do you do well to be angry? God here is like a therapist asking questions. Now think about this. The only one who has the right to be angry is God. And the only one who has the right to be angry at Nineveh is God. But yet God is not angry at Nineveh. He, he doesn't run from the city to lead it to disaster, but he runs into the city to save and to forgive. 
And Jonah should have been glad that Nineveh had taken steps towards God, and he should have been willing to help them take their next steps, but his personal idolatrous rage kept him from it. Again, Jonah's going to say in in verse number 9, I want to die, and and God says, "Are, are you sure that's the right thing? And Jonah says, yes, I am angry enough to die. Now listen, I'm not telling you that in life, that having these feelings of despairing in life is always a sin. To be in pain to, to, and, and to have a natural response, a rational response to pain in your life. I get that. But here, Jonah's issue, his suicidal thoughts are not relevant, or not biblical, not godly at all. His anger here is the problem. God says, do you do right to be angry? And what God is trying to show Jonah is that your anger is a symptom that there is something deeper going on in your heart. Here's what it is. Jonah is self-righteous. Tim Keller, on, on this particular text, says that the opposite of righteousness is not unrighteousness, although we would maybe think it is. The opposite of righteousness is shame. It's shame. See, everyone is seeking righteousness. Ever, ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been seeking righteousness. And what, we're, what, I'm, what I mean by that is we're looking for meaning, we're looking for confidence, we're looking for security. See, Jonah took something good, love for country. There's nothing wrong with loving your country. But what he did is he made it his God. He, he made it his righteousness. He, he made it that one thing. So Keller on this text said this. He says that when you lose something, he says if when you lose something, it means you lost all hope, then that was your hope. If you lose something and you feel like nothing, then that was your everything. It was your righteousness. It was your religion. It was your glory. The reason Keller says that Jonah is suicidal is because he has experienced pathological disintegration. His entire identity was built on being morally superior to other people. His entire identity was built on that, so he turned his religion into an idol. His basis for self-image is that he felt superior to the Ninevites, and now that they are forgiven, he is devastated. He had built his life on the fact that he was better than them. Yes, they may be more powerful. Yes, they may be stronger. Yes, they may be militarily more uh, astute. But yet he could say, I have the moral high ground because I am the chosen people of God. But now that God has forgiven them, that is completely eroded from him in his mind. Because he was basing his identity on the fact that he was better than those people. And this is as old as Adam and Eve. You remember when they sinned in the garden? What did they immediately do? One, they hid from God. And two, they made for themselves clothing made out of fig leaves. Why, why did they put clothing on? Why did, they, uh, to, uh, why did they try to cover themselves? And the reason why is because when they sinned, their eyes were open and they looked at themselves and they looked at each other and they were naked and they were exposed. So they tried to cover themselves up to cover up their shame. See, they were seeking that righteousness. They were seeking some sort of covering because in this moment, they were exposed. So they, they, they were looking for something to give them security, looking for something to give them confidence, looking to give them something for covering. That's why a lot of people today are moving and using a lot of things to cover themselves up. So ever since the fall, we have the tendency to want to cover up our shame and our sinfulness and our shortcomings with fig leaves. Whatever we can do to make ourselves 
feel safe and superior is what we find is our righteousness. And we can make fig leaves out of anything. We can make it out of our religion, our nationality, our economic status, our political party, our jobs, our families, our hobbies, our health, our fitness, our sports teams, our intelligence, our talents, our successes, or anything else that we find our identity and security in other than God. See, when our fig leaves are threatened, when our fig leaves are harmed, when our fig leaves are destroyed, we react with anger, we react with fear, we react with anxiety, and we are seeing that alive and well today with what's going on in our world. See, if there is something more important in your life than God, you will be like Jonah, and you'll be either A, fragile, or B, self-righteous, or both. You'll either have pride and superiority or you will have fear and insecurity because what you love is being threatened. And that's where Jonah's rage is coming from. His self-righteousness. He thinks that he is morally superior to these people. And now that that's eroded, he's devastated. And his reaction is anger. But let's see what God's remedy is. God's remedy is found, it begins in verse number 5. If you read the text here, Jonah gets out of town as fast as he could. And when he gets out of town, he goes and he builds himself a little pity parlor. And he's, he's holding out hope as he's on the east side. He's moved on up to the east side in his deluxe apartment over there on the east side of town. And he's holding out hope that God is still going to destroy the city of Nineveh. But while Jonah is sitting there in his own self-righteousness, God was not going to lead Jonah where he was. God's going to deal with Jonah. And let me tell you something. If you're here today and you're listening to me and you've got anger and rage and anxiety and worry and fear with what's going on in this world, God's not going to leave you there if you're his child. He's going to deal with you. And he's going to deal with Jonah here two ways. He's going to deal with him painfully and he's going to deal with him lovingly. In verse number 6, we see how God deals in verse 6, the Bible says that the Lord appointed a plant. The word here, plant, um, a lot of uh, interpreters, a lot of scholars believe that this was a, a castor oil plant. To, to make Jonah stay in his little pity parlor more comfortable, God provides air conditioning in the form of a shade plant. Now, I've been to this region where Jonah was and, and this place is probably one of the hardest places I've ever been in my entire life. I was there in July, and it's extremely hot. And so when Jonah was sitting there on the east side of town, looking and hoping and praying for God to destroy the city of Nineveh, he sits out there in the heat. And when God provides this plant, the Bible says that Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. In his deep discouragement and his grief, this small little comfort gave him joy. In, in Jonah's mind, he's saying, finally, out of all that I've gone through, finally something is working. And then verse number seven. The Bible says that after that, God appointed a worm. I don't know what kind of worm. Caterpillar, a nightcrawler, I'm not sure. But while Jonah was sleeping in, God sent a worm. And this worm was like Roundup. It killed the plant. 
So then, after this plant is, is killed, it's dead, it's wilted, it's withered, the Bible says that God appointed a scorching east wind. Now, did you notice that? God appointed a plant, he then appointed a worm, he then appointed a scorching east wind. Now, when I was there, right outside of the city of Nineveh a few, a few, uh, last year, temperatures were between 110 to 115 degrees while I was there. I just imagine the wind now is blowing that hot air like a blow dryer. I was there when you, when you had these massive windstorms, and, and in Florida, or maybe we're thinking of, a, of a, a gulf breeze or an ocean breeze coming on and cooling us down. No, 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 no. It, it is like a hot air blow dryer blowing on his skin. And think about this. The sun is now bearing down on Jonah's head, and his skin had probably been weakened by the gastric juices of that fish. He's like a man who had a, a perpetual sunburn. His skin has been now exposed to the sun, and he is in misery. So much so that he again asks God to kill him, saying within himself, I God, I just can't catch a break. So in verse number nine, God speaks to Jonah. Now, if you've been counting the number of times God's spoken to Jonah, to my count, this is the fourth time that God speaks to Jonah in the book. And here's, I think, the beauty of that. God keeps coming back to Jonah. Jonah acts like a knucklehead all throughout the entire book. He's a knucklehead. He runs from God's call. Then he calls out to God, and God calls him again. And then he calls him in the very beginning. He says, do you do well to be angry? And now here he comes back, and he asks the same question again. He's like a therapist asking the same question, trying to have Jonah see what the real issue is. And he asks Jonah, he says, Jonah, do you do well to be angry about that plant? In in other words, the therapist God here is saying, you know what? It sounds like to me, Jonah, that plant is pretty important to you. And Jonah says, darn right it is. It's so important that because it's gone, I am so angry that I am ready to die. So then God comes and talks to him. And he says this to Jonah. He says in verse number 10, you pity the plant. That that word pity can also be used, the word compassion. You have compassion for the plant. The word compassion or pity can mean to grieve over, to weep over something because you've attached yourself to it. It's because of attachment. So you have compassion. You, you weep, you grieve over something because of attachment. So Jonah, you have been, a, you've in the 12-hour period or so, you have attached yourself to this shade plant. You have attached yourself and, and, and you are thrilled by it and you are loved by it. It grew and then, and then it died, but you're devastated and Jonah, you've grown an attachment. Maybe, I don't know, in my mind, I'm thinking of the movie Castaway, that maybe here Jonah has given the, the plant a name. And so it was Casty. So he loved old Casty. And when Casty was dead and the, score, the sun was scorching on his head, he got angry because the thing that he had grown attached to, the thing that he loved, was now taken away because he loved it too much. Let me share with you a passage. In Psalm 39, verse 11, the psalmist says this, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. 
He says that when you discipline a man for rebukes of sin, you consume like a moth what is dear. That's what God did. God's trying to show Jonah painfully his problem. That he gave and then he took away. God says, Jonah, you are attached to something that you didn't create. Notice what he says in verse 11. Oh, pardon me, verse number 10. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into, night, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. You are putting your identity, you're putting your hope, you're finding your joy in something that you didn't create, you didn't cause to grow. It's temporary here today and literally gone tomorrow. And this thing is something that, when it was taken away, makes you so angry that you are willing to die for it because it's so important to you. And God is essentially saying, you are so foolish to have attached yourself to this plant as the source of joy, the source of life, and the source of meaning. And that's what Jonah did. Because here's what happens. When you attach yourself to something, when you love something, you make yourself vulnerable for suffering. If you love something, when they're happy or when it's happy, you're happy. When you love someone and they're distressed, you're distressed. Think about personally in my life. One of the things that I found in throughout this whole journey is that I'm deeply, too deeply attached to sports. Maybe some of you are too deeply attached to sports. And there are times that with, you know, you all know that I have a team. They wear blue and white and are the greatest basketball team ever invented, ever known in the history of mankind, the University of Kentucky. And we would have won the national championship this year. I am convinced. And matter of fact, we may be like UCF. We may put a banner up anyway. Actually, we don't have to do that because we have eight others. So we're pretty good. But, but just so that you know... I've found, I found that myself, when they canceled the NCAA tournament, and, and when we didn't have the SEC tournament, and we didn't have all this stuff, that literally inside of myself, I was depressed. I was despondent. I was almost like Jonah, ready to die. And it showed me that I was loving something too much, because when you love something, you're vulnerable for suffering. And that's why I think C.S. Lewis says, be careful who and what you love. Michelle Pope, and maybe some of you have read this, it became kind of viral this past week, uh, said this. I don't even know who Michelle Pope is, but I really liked what she had to say. She said this. She said, God said, you, you want to worship athletes? I'll shut down the stadiums. You want to worship musicians? I'll shut down the Civic Center. You want to worship actors? I will shut down the theaters. You want to worship money? I'll shut down the economy and collapse the stock market. You don't want to go to church and worship me. God says, I will make it to where you can't go to church. Isn't it amazing what God can do? He gives and he takes away. But listen, here's what he says in verse 11. And we're going to kind of get this thing to a close. He asked Jonah this question, and it ends the book. Should not I pity Nineveh? God uses the same word, pity, to express his love for the people of Nineveh. God says, Jonah, you care more about a plant that grew over a night and died the next day than you do a multitude of people who I created in my image and will live forever in eternity, either in, with, in heaven with me or in hell away from me for eternity. Jonah, you care more about this stinking gourd. You care more about this plant than you do people. Jonah, you don't understand my love. 
Now notice, when God's speaking to Jonah, he's not angry. He lovingly calls Jonah. He says, Jonah, you care more about plants than you do people. Jonah, you care about, more about comfort than you do compassion. You care more about the temporary than you do the eternal. You care more about the material than the spiritual. He says that there are 120 people that don't know their right hand from their left. Now, some people say that God here is using to speak of just that's how big the city of Nineveh was. and It was just full of ignorant people. Others say that he's talking about children. But here's what I want you to get at. With the reason why God talks about people that don't know their right hand from their left is because for Jonah, the Ninevites weren't people. They were a concept. They were an enemy. God here wants Jonah to see that they are people. And they are people that he knows about, and they are people that he cares about, and they are people made in his image. See, God loves people. Not because he has to love people, but because he chooses to love people. Because the difference between any other type of love that you can imagine is that God's love for people is voluntary. God is sovereign. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. He chooses who and how he loves, and therefore we have no right as his created beings to judge who or how God loves. I want you to listen in the Bible how God describes his love for his people. In Isaiah chapter 63, verse 9, this is how God describes his love for his people. He says that in all their affliction, God, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed Israel. He, lift, he redeemed them and lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Here's the question. He says, in all of their affliction, God was afflicted. Here's the question. Why in the world is it? Why, what is the big deal? Why is it that when I am afflicted, God is afflicted? Why is it that when I am grieving, he is grieving? Why is that? Because God voluntarily attached his heart towards us. See, when God chose to love the world, he didn't just do it with words and sentiment. He did it with deeds and action. The reason why he is afflicted when I am afflicted is because he has voluntarily attached his heart and life and love to me. And Jesus came into this world to show the world God's love for humanity. When you read the Gospels, you, you'll see about Jesus that one of the, one of the motions that, that, is, that is used all throughout the Gospels to describe Jesus is the word compassion. The Bible says all the time in the Gospels that he had compassion or he was moved with compassion. He was a man that was someone who was loving people in action. The Bible also refers to Jesus as a man of sorrows. Did you know that for every one time Jesus laughs... He weeps 20 times in the Gospels. He was a man of sorrows, not because he was depressed. He had the joy of the Holy Spirit inside of him. He was a man of sorrows because he was grieved by our sinful condition. He came to this world, a world that was broken, a world that was panicked, a world that was in the slavery of death, in the fear of death, and he saw what sin was doing to humanity, and it grieved him. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to say something about the city of Nineveh. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 41, the Bible says that the men of Nineveh will rise up at judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Let me tell you something about Jesus. Jesus is the prophet that Jonah should have been. See, Jesus did not just weep for us. Jesus died for us. Jonah went outside of the city 
hoping to see its condemnation. Jesus went outside the city and died for our salvation. Jesus died to love his people. Jonah wanted to die because he loved a plant. Instead of taking Jonah's life, Jesus, the greater Jonah, gave his life. Not only for Nineveh, not only for Jonah, but for you and me. And the reason that God had pity on Nineveh, and the reason that God has pity on Jonah, and the reason that God has compassion and love for you and me is because of Jesus. Listen to this one thought. Jesus is everything we are not. And therefore, we're weak and he's strong. We're ignorant, he's wise. We're full of shame, he's our righteousness. See, Jesus is our covering, our security, our identity, and our hope. He's the source of joy. He's the source of life. He is our righteousness. Listen, my friend, in the midst of this crisis, we need to stop trying to save ourselves, and we need to run to him. We need to learn from Jesus. We need to be like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. We need to find our all in Jesus. The book of Jonah ends with a question. It seems like it's an unfinished book. But as you read it, I think the reason that we read this and we, and we feel like it's unfinished is because we want to know what happened to Jonah. What happened to Jonah? Did he, did he learn? Did he, did he finally get it? Did he change? Did he grow up? And we don't know. But Sinclair Ferguson said this in his book on chapter 4 in the book of Jonah. He said this. He says, the book of Jonah forces us to contemplate our personal destiny. It remains unfinished in order that we provide our own conclusion. For you are Jonah, and I am Jonah. So in this crisis that we're going through, what is God painfully and lovingly revealing to you? See, God in this story doesn't accept Jonah for what Jonah is. He doesn't leave Jonah where he was. He continues to deal with Jonah in his foolishness, his, his, his evil attitudes and his evil behavior, and God sends a storm, he sends a fish, he sends a plant, he sends a worm, and he sends the wind to get his attention. And here's the good thing about God. God is too loving and he's too holy to leave you and I where we are. He wants to bring you closer to him. He wants to give you a heart of compassion for other people. So here's the question as we end. Are you cherishing things that are important and forsaking the one who is ultimately important? I want to end with this. If you're here today and you're listening to me and you're full of anger, ask yourself, why am I so angry? And could it be that God at this time has appointed you to watch this service Because he is lovingly dealing with you so that you see your need for him. And so if you're watching right now and you want to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're tired of being angry, you're tired of being scared, you're tired of being anxious, and you want to give your life to Jesus, 
who loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, then right now I want to invite you to bow your heads with me right now. If you're here and you'd like to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, would you just pray a prayer like this? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know, Father, that I have done so many things. And God, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. And I ask that you save me, not on my goodness, but on his. I ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed to trust Christ as your Savior or you need somebody to talk to, you want somebody to pray with you, or if you need to make a next step, whether you want to take the next step of baptism or whatever it is, there's a a button on our website. And also, if you're watching on Facebook, there'll be a, a link there that helps you take your next step you click on that and and everyone that's listening to me if you would would you go and click on that link and say i want to take my next step i've trade and trust jesus christ as my savior or i want to take a next step towards god would you do that thank you for listening to the central sanford podcast for more information or how to take your next step visit us online at centralsanford.net.